Thanks for that, Tom. That's, that's great. Hello, everyone. My name's Sai. It's great to be speaking to you this morning. I hope you're all well. Do you know, there are, there are days in history that are key days uh, that change the world forever once that they've happened. They, they don't happen very often, but they do. And I'm going to just name a few just to, to prove this point. And uh, it's such a shame that Paul Endersby's not in the room here because he would just know the dates off the top of his head. But um, if you're old enough and you were alive at this time, obviously you have to be old, have to be alive to be old enough, but you, you remember them and it will be significant in your thinking. So, for example, the landing on the moon, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, 20th of July, 1969, blah, losing a, I need to put my teeth in this morning, I think, things changed from that day, the first footage of the whole earth from space, 7th of December, 19. 72. David Attenborough in his new series says, actually, the psyche of the world uh, changed then from the world being in this infinite place to it being a finite place. The first, um, this one I actually remember, actually, this, this is one of my first like key dates that I remember, was the Berlin Wall coming down, 9th of November, 19. 89. I was only 11, but I knew something significant was happening on that day. Another one, I got woken up in the morning by my mum to say, Ben Davidson's on the phone and Princess Diana's died. 31st of August, 1997. Things changed from that point. And of course, the one that a lot of people will remember, 11th of September, 2001, the Twin Towers, days that changed the world forever. In this series, we've been looking at the uniqueness of Jesus. Chris, towards the beginning, said um, that Jesus spent 30 years of his life preparing for three years of ministry, which culminated in three days that changed the world forever. And it's those three days that we're going to look at today, the death and resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to look at the death, his death and uh, what that achieved for us, and then Emmy's going to come, and she's going to look at his glorious resurrection and what was achieved through that. This is the event in history. All of history beforehand was leading up to this event, and all of history onwards will live in the light and the good of what that event secured. Books and books have been written about this subject. And, uh, it's, and even, even all these books written, they haven't exhausted the depths of what is to be taught from it. I would recommend the book The Cross of Christ by John Stott, that's a great book if you wanted to go deeper on this, and I'd encourage you to go deeper. But what I'm sort of saying in a nice way is Emmy and I, in the next 25, 30 minutes, are not going to be able to cover everything of what Jesus achieved through his death and resurrection. But hopefully, 
will highlight some of the key things and whet your appetite to look at it further. So the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let's look at his death. You know, it is the very center of the gospel, these two things. It's a foundational act upon which God's redemptive plan rests upon. It's a key message that needs to be preached to the whole world. The Apostle Paul sums it up in the book of Corinthians like this. For I delivered to you as of first importance, first, the most important thing, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. To the Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote this, the gospel of God, as promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. You know, the Old Testament, it points it pointed forward to Jesus coming to earth, to him living a perfect life, to him being in the line of King David, the, uh, the king of Israel, the king of the people of God, whose promised descendant, the Messiah, or Christ in the Greek, would establish an everlasting kingdom over all the nations. That's what it prophesied. It also prophesied in Scripture that he would die on behalf of God's people to redeem them from the law and redeem them from sin and slavery to Satan. Although this was not fully understood beforehand, Peter could actually boldly declare on the day of Pentecost, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. So what I'm trying to make clear and what the Bible says is that Jesus' death wasn't some tragic accident of a, of, a, of a great leader gone wrong, his plans come crashing down. No, it was part of God's plan of redemption all along. Jesus was the only one to live a righteous life before God. The only one who could actually say, who of you convicts me? of sin, because there was no sin to convict him of. Even other religions, even Islam would say Jesus was sinless. And that, this sinless man chose to become the sacrificial lamb to take on himself our sins, to atone for or make amends for the things that you and I have done wrong. He became our substitute, taking on himself what we deserve. John the Baptist described him as, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He took the things that you and I have done wrong on himself, the things that we have done that offend a holy God. You see, to ignore the one who created you, who gives you life, who holds 
your breath in his hands. That's no small insult, is it? To go against the king of the universe who said, don't do things, not because he's cruel, but in love. He said, don't do it. It's not good for you. It's no minor offense when we go against that. And to hurt people, fallen though we all are, we are still made in the image of God and we are precious to him. That's no small thing to do before a loving God. And actually for some of you watching this video, I just feel it right to remind you as well that God wants you to know to hate and to hurt yourself is no small thing either. You are precious to God. He wants you to hear that. You are precious to God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knitted you together, the Bible says, in your mother's womb. He loves you. You see, all these things that we do that are wrong, that offend God and go against his good character, his righteousness, is what the Bible calls sin. It's where we miss the mark of what God expects of us. And, they, and these things separate us from a holy God. We can no longer come into his presence. They make us dirty, spiritually speaking. And in truth, if you're truthful with yourself, there's sometimes times where you feel dirty on the inside. And imperial leather haven't made a soap that cleans the soul yet, as far as I'm aware. No earthly bank can pay your debt for the things that you have done wrong. But Jesus can. And that's the wonderful truth of the gospel. That's the wonderful reason why Christ died. By Jesus' death, he can. You know, John Newton was a slave trader. He made money out of enslaving thousands of Africans and was actually responsible for many more dying on his ships as he ferried them over to America. What a wretched man. What wickedness, what cruelty that he had done to others. Yet, when he heard the gospel and surrendered his life to Jesus and asked for forgiveness for the things that he had done wrong, he went on to write the most famous Christian hymn of all, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He was writing that about himself. And it, of course, is true for all of us. This song is happily sung today by millions of descendants of the slave trade because they know the truth that before a holy God, we're all wretched. We all deserve his punishment. Yet Jesus the righteous died in our place. On him came God's righteous judgment, God's wrath against our sin and our wickedness. The theological term for this is propitiation. Christ appeased God's wrath, taking it on himself. It's not that God just says, oh, that doesn't matter what you've done. It does matter, and it needs to be judged, and the judgment came 
on Jesus as our substitute. Through faith in him, he takes our filth on himself and pays the punishment for that on the cross. Whereas we get given his righteousness, his goodness are given to us. We are reconciled to God. Or to put it another way, our relationship is restored to God so that we can know him, that we can enjoy his presence. The Apostle Paul, another man who saw himself as the worst of sinners, put it this way. So, by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. And that applies to you if you've given your life to Jesus. You've been made righteous in him. It was a once for all sacrifice, never needing to be repeated ever again. Sufficient to save everybody who looks to Jesus. The Apostle Peter wrote, For Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us back to God. How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but his blood makes us acceptable, makes us good enough to become before a holy God. What mankind could not do for itself, God did through the man, Jesus Christ. Through his death, we are forgiven and made righteous and have the eternal hope of glory. Through Jesus' death, we get adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. We can relate to him as our heavenly father. Then, out of thanks, not because of uh, to earn his approval, but because we have his approval. And as a fruit of our salvation, we take up our cross. We lay down our lives and we follow Jesus into all that he has for us. Now, there's much more that I could say on all these things, but I need to make time for Emmy, who's going to come and she's going to look at the wonderful resurrection of Jesus and what truth that triumphantly declares. So, Emmy, if you want to come up here and over to you. Hi, can you hear me now? That's better. Fantastic. Okay. Thanks, Sai, is what I said originally. Um, so, as Sai has spoken about, he spoke about the uniqueness behind the death of Jesus on the cross um, and how he died in as our substitute, um, that he took upon himself God's wrath and was a willing sacrifice without any blemish. Um, and this was all part of God's plan. So, this is not the end of the story. And um, something that I came across when I was um, thinking and writing this up, um, I asked my colleagues uh, what they knew about the story of uh, Jesus and uh, the death on the cross and his resurrection. And as Sai pointed out, um, we often speak uh, in the office about things that have happened in the past. 9-11 actually does come up a lot. Um, we talk about, you know, certain events in history that everyone goes, oh, yeah, I remember exactly where I was when that happened. Or, yeah, no, I remember um, that happening and that coming up in the newspapers. Um, but then I asked them, I said, how much do you know out of interest? How much of it do you know about Jesus and, um, you know, how he died on the cross and that he was resurrected? 
And when I said the word resurrected, they were a little bit taken aback because they didn't really fully understand what that word meant. Um, and I said to them, just out of interest, you know, not testing you, but how, how much do you know about the Christian faith? And they said, well, we know that Jesus was the son of God um, and that he got nailed to a cross. And then he rose again after three days and came out of the tomb. Um, and they said that that was kind of it. And I said, oh, OK. And then I realized as a Christian in the workplace that I'd fallen quite short um, because the resurrection is one of the most important parts of that story. Um, and it's something that actually I feel that I should be speaking about more when it comes to talking about the gospel. Um, and so what I'm going to be speaking about is the uniqueness behind the resurrection and what that meant in God's plan and also what it means for us. Um, and his death on that cross was a very unique part of that story, but so was what happened in that grave. And with that, we're going to talk about how we have an indestructible life because of what Jesus did on that cross. And because he rose again and defeated the grave, we now have an indestructible life. And that it doesn't just affect our lives now, but it affects our future life, our eternal life, what is to come. Um, and how that plan that God had didn't stop on the cross. The resurrection wasn't a surprise to the New Testament. Um, and throughout the Old Testament, there are illusions um, that all point towards Christ's eventual defeat of the grave. Um, and here are some uh, snippets that include Job, the book of Job, chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives and that at last he will stand upon this earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I see, shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. Here we hear Job explain, and explain, exclaim, sorry, admits his suffering, that he knows that not only is there a Messiah to come, that he also knows that when he dies and when his flesh dies, that he will see God and stand before him. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 26, verse 19, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is the dew of light and the earth will give you birth to the dead. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus walked on this earth. And yet Isaiah is writing and explaining the joy that will come when we rise again and that we sing for joy before God. And in the New Testament, we see little stories of how Jesus rose people from the dead. In Luke chapter 7, um, there's a very short story about how um, there was a boy who, the only son of a widower, um, who was being carried out of the village because he had died. Um, and Jesus and his disciples were kind of coming into the village and they came across this kind of concession of people. Um, and Jesus stopped them and turned to the widower, to the grieving mother, and comforted her and then turned and merely spoke to the body and told it to rise. And this boy rose and came and stood with his mother. And one of the most famous stories that I, I imagine most people will know about is the story of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was the brother of Mary who um, wa washed Jesus' feet with her hair. Um, and Jesus was very fond and very close to this family. Um, and he heard that Lazarus was gravely ill and was going to die soon. And by the time Jesus got to Lazarus, he'd been in the grave for four days. He'd been in his tomb for four whole days. And for those who know the story, that you know that Jesus spoke 
and Lazarus appeared from his tomb, alive and well, and wearing the robes that he'd been wrapped in in his grave. Now, that part of the story is incredible, but what I want to really focus on in particular is that it has a profound truth that depicts something extraordinary to come. And there's a specific kind of um, conversation that happens between Jesus and the other grieving sister, Martha. And this is found in John 11, Jan, verses 21 to 26. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And then Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, through, though he may die, yet he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe me? Here Jesus reveals his glory in his own words and confirms what Martha had faithfully stated already. She was right. There was a glorious age to come where believers would rise bodily from the grave. But Jesus had more to say to that. And he says, I am the arrival of that day. Here we see the story. Even before Jesus has gone to the cross, he is exactly what we need in full and in all its glory. He died so that we can live in full. And he lived so that when we die, we can live in full before God. And this is the glory of Jesus. Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave because he is the resurrection. He is the arrival in the moment of history of God's final glorious renovation in all things, all things including our bodies. And Jesus' resurrection is the resurrection, the unique part of this story. All the images that I've spoken about all point to this moment in history, this moment in one time that happens the boy from the village and Lazarus were all risen from the dead back to their original bodies, the bodies that they died in. But unlike this, Jesus rose from the grave, defeated death, and his body was transformed. That is what's unique with this story. His body may have held the marks of his crucifixion and the marks that Thomas had to see to believe one of his disciples, but he was in his full resurrection glory. And with this physical proof of the resurrection and his victory over the grave and that he was approved and vindicated by God, his death was to pay for our sins and our death. And with his resurrection, we have been set free. And with all of this in mind, this is what the resurrection means for us. Today, we are living the grandest story ever told, but it's not yes at the end. There is an ultimate hope for us. And Paul wrote and knew and understood this. He wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he wrote how he wasn't just looking to the time where he would die and be with Christ. It was more than that. His ultimate hope and our ultimate hope is to be clothed again in a new body, a body that like Jesus in his resurrection form, will be able to live and work and stand in the renewed earth and stand in the very presence of God. Our earthly bodies are vessels for our earthly life, and they will grow weary and they will fade. But we now know that this isn't the end. If you imagine an acorn um, and an acorn will fall to the ground and the shell will rot away and it will fade away and it will fade into the ground. And it seems like it's the end. But actually what grows from that acorn will be released a life that will grow into a mighty, mighty oak tree. And I want you to have that image in your mind. We can be confident in knowing 
that when we know and when we love Jesus, while our bodies will grow weary and fade, we will rise again in a new body that will not fail, that will not ache, that will not perish, that will not die. And we will be able to stand before God in the renewed kingdom. And like I said, Paul exclaims this beautifully in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And this new body awaits us. It is ours to inherit, and it is inheritance that will not perish and will not fade. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, um, that this promised inheritance that he speaks of is compared to earthly treasures that will fade and will die, and only temporarily. But unlike that, this inheritance that we have been given, this renewed body that we've been promised, has not only been promised, but it's also been stamped and sealed with God himself. And all of this, all of what I've just said, is because of what Jesus died, did on that cross and what he did in that grave. Because he was triumphant over death, we will be resurrected on the last day. And so with this knowledge, this amazing knowledge and that we have been given, and not only that, is it guarded in heaven, this is where we need to live out our lives in full for Jesus, when we know that we have got this renewed hope of what is to come. And Paul spoke a lot about how this had an effect on his ministry. He knew that because of his renewed hope, and when he exalted Jesus inwardly and outwardly, that he had the power to do God's work. And it's the same for us. We should be living out the life that Jesus intended for us because we know what is to come and what Jesus did on that cross. And even though um, earthly desires might come in the way and um, you know God's, um, sorry, man's word and hand will come down on us hard, Paul knew that his earthly body was temporary, but he knew that his eternal body awaits. And he wrote in Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is game. Believing all of this is so much more, so much more than just accepting a fact. It's so much more than just sitting there saying, yep, I'm a Christian. It's so much more than that. It means that not only that we have this renewed hope, but that we can be confident that God is so for us. He is so for us and that he can transform our hearts and brings us to a deep eternal joy that awaits us. And this message is not something that we should just accept and just know about and read about. It is something that is just known as being significant. It is something that we need to understand why it is significant and what it means for us. And that we should be making sure our family and our friends and work colleagues understand fully what it represents. The cross and the resurrection. So if I could just invite the band to come back up. Um, I'm just going to pray. Um, I'm going to pray for the people that know Jesus and for anyone who's watching, for anyone um, who hasn't um, come to know Jesus, um, who's never heard this story before, has never heard what we've just spoken about. I just really encourage you to pray this prayer along with me. Um, I pray that you will, um, you know, come and contact us and reach out to anyone that you know who knows Jesus um, and just be bold and take that first step into this new hope. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we just give so much thanks for what you did on the cross and for what you did on that grave. 
And I just pray for those people out there who, um, who haven't come to know you, Lord. I just pray now. I pray that they will accept you into their hearts, Lord, that they will soften their hearts, Lord, that they will turn to you, that they will turn away from what has been dragging them down and that they understand that they are loved, that they are cherished and they are perfectly made. And for those who know Jesus, Lord, I just pray that we understand that we've been made right and that we've been adopted into God's family. And by Christ's death and thanks to his resurrection, we have this wonderful, wonderful, certain hope that of eternal life that will come with our resurrected body and that will be made to last forever. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.